Hello and welcome to the Richard Grannon Podcast with me, your host, Richard Grannon. My claim, my hypothesis is that actually we're living in a love-averse culture, an intimacy-averse culture and a vulnerability-averse culture. So if you can't be vulnerable, then you can't be intimate. And if you can't be intimate, there really is no love. So what's happening instead is you'll see aggression and hostility filling or, or you know, brutal militarized levels of indifference filling the space where there would have been warmth and affection. If we're all signaling to each other how invulnerable and tough and independent, counter-dependent we are, how would love and intimacy flourish in such an environment? The reasons for this, uh, you know, you have consumerism, so people think of themselves as individuals who are to be pleasured. Our self-concept is, what's in it for me? How can I get what I want and how can I enjoy the many options of products? Enjoy options. That is the ideology that we're in today. And this breeds uh, a rigid individualism. This is often confused with narcissism. It's not narcissism. Narcissism requires a split with reality where we become delusional and fall in love with our own false self. Yes, that is a factor. But the rigid individualism is the refutation of any need to be in a collective, of any sense of a tribe, of any sense of a group. But this is perverse because we are tribal creatures. As mammals, as the animals that we are, we are pack creatures. We need each other. We need to contribute. In fact, there are studies that show that if we're not contributing, we become emotionally dysregulated. So our hormones, our hormonal and emotional regulation and balance is interdependent with our interactions with other human beings. We know that if we feel our falsely or authentically, our sense of status goes down, this can affect how we feel. It can generate depression. It can generate feelings of anxiety. Status is a group-orientated um, denominator. That's, you know, if you're nominating status as being important, it's status with whom? It's not status with yourself. So we're living in this unnatural condition where we say, no, I'm just an individual. There's no group. I don't need anybody else. And this creates uh, a state of lovelessness. Psychologization. So people like me who popularize psychology have for decades now been poisoning the well. Psychology is great, but it is not a way of understanding the world. For example, if you take psychology concepts that are good psychotherapeutic concepts and apply them to politics or to business or to relationships, it's disastrous, it's catastrophic. Psychology only sees the individual. If you want to study groups, there's a different study for that. It's called sociology. So because we're psychologized, we further go down this rabbit hole of seeing ourselves as individuals, individuals who are broken, individuals who are traumatized, fractured, who need something from outside to consume. This is consumerism again, rigid individualism again, and it's toxic passivity again. We're in a toxically yin state. I am empty and I'm a vessel to be filled with ideology, pleasure, experiences, and products. So you take that, and you put that in the water, and you put it across a population, and what do you have? 
people desperately trying to turn the relationships that they're in into consumable products. We're warped, we're twisted. We're trying to turn people into things. It's a death cult. It's a really sick way of saying things. It's anti-life. We're not respecting one another because we can't, because we don't respect ourselves. When there's no reverence for the self, there can be no reverence for others. So we treat each other sometimes with, with hostility, but often what is treated, what is seen or perceived or felt as hostility is simply indifference. It's the frustration of an end user. So your partner or your prospective partner treats you aggressively and, and with hostility. You might think, oh, this is narcissism. Maybe, maybe. But if you download an app and it doesn't work, don't you get cranky? If you buy a product from Amazon or from the shop, and you pay your money and it doesn't do what it said it would do, don't you get aggressive and hostile with the product? You're not trying to hurt the product's feelings, it's just not doing what you thought it would do. And so, you're disappointed, you're cranky, and you're frustrated. This, I would say, is less to do with an aggressive, psychopathic form of narcissism and more to do with psychologization, consumerism, and rigid individualism. It's a sickness that we need to heal from first. Okay, so uh, welcome to the seminar. We're gonna start with uh, something else for the first five, 10 minutes and let people come. Um, for those of you watching at home, there are protests here in Belgrade that are gonna mean that quite a few people are gonna show up late. Um, the seminar is on trying to rehabilitate love and relationships in the culture that we live in now, which is, in my humble opinion, uh, a love-averse culture. The reason why people are struggling with love, intimacy, and relationships isn't because millions and billions of people have an individual trauma that stops that, that this is a widespread cultural phenomenon, which is good, and I have a good seminar for you, but what you need to remember is uh, these things are collective issues. So if I give them, if I give solutions to you, that's fine, but you're still operating in a collective that doesn't believe in that. So you're, it's a bit of a Nietzschean point. So like Nietzsche, I would be asking you to swim upstream. You must swim against the culture and it will be hard and it will be painful and it will be tiring. Um, that is life, comrades, you must suffer this pain. No, there's, there's really nothing I can do about it. Um, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say, okay, this is, this is why it's breaking down. These are the solutions that we could have, but it's not, it's not really prescriptive to you, like unless you think you can change the world. Uh, the only thing that we can do as individuals is insist on these individual boundaries, rules, guidelines, and try to adhere to them. When you meet somebody um, who you would like to be in a relationship with, whether it's romantic or it might be a family relationship or a child or whatever, you can try to instill these ideas and values in them. It's going to take time and it's going to take skill because again, we're swimming against the current, the ideological current. When I talk about ideology, you all know what that is, right? 
Yeah, okay. So these are the coordinates, the unconscious coordinates by which people operate in the world. They're the unconscious coordinates by which they understand themselves, their place in the world, and the rules for how the world works. The rules for how the world works and the rules for how we feel, we're going to get into in a moment. So do you all have an idea of what a good relationship would look like, ideally? Do you have a sort of a rough sense of what would be a good relationship? Why are you smiling? <laughs> Everybody's like, yeah. Okay. Um, what, what would we say would be some good elements to have in a decent relationship? And think of things like, if this isn't there, the relationship isn't going to function. What do you need? Who said that? <laughs> very, very right, very true, yeah. I put this, this high up. Um, Loyalty. Sorry? Loyalty. Loyalty. Trust, okay. Trust. Uh, you want it to a fair exchange. You see how see how I changed your word from equal to fair. You just can't trust. You can't trust me. I said I said fair. Yeah. No, no. It's it's no. Your what you said is correct. Um, the problem is this word equal is really difficult. It's it's problematic because the only things that are really truly equal are in mathematics, like one is equal to one. So when we, when we go, oh, equal is fair, then you start going, well, we like fairness and we like equality, they're the same things, we want it to be fair, let's make it equal. And then you have Comrade Stalin and so on. So, so we said respect. What, what do you think is happening now where we collectively are falling down with respect? Do you think the, the genders have respect for each other now? Why do you think that's broken down? No ideas. Okay, we'll come back to that. We will come back to that because you, don't, you have an idea, but you don't want to say it. You will let it linger in the unconscious. Go on. Okay, so men have lost their way, and that's why there's a lack of respect. Men have lost their way. Men have lost their way. People have lost their way, but men particularly have lost their way in a specific, nuanced way that I'm going to describe using Jungian psychology in a bit. Do you think respect is one of these things? Do you think you can respect somebody if you don't respect yourself? I suspect that when it comes to respect within relationships, so we say like, oh, I want respect and I want you to be uh, boundaried with me, that the problem is that because we don't, oh yeah, we, you're fine, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Um, we, we don't have, it has to start with us. So if we don't really respect ourselves, it's quite hard to respect other people. Loyalty, what's the problem with loyalty now? Why have we lost loyalty? Yeah, everybody's thinking it. So we've got an options crisis. So the only thing that kept us loyal in the past was that we didn't have any other choice but loyalty. So women needed to be with men because they gained something from it, whereas now you can do it for yourselves, so you don't need to be loyal. So 
Well, you said it. <laughs> I didn't fucking say it. She said it. Um, no, no, but like, there, there's something here to be said for that. So when we talk respect, loyalty, trust, and fair exchange, our eyes go glassy, and we're like, oh, in the perfect world, this is romance. Oprah Winfrey told me, respect, loyalty, equality, fair exchange. But is that really what we're doing in relationships? Is it glassy-eyed and ideal? One of the things that we have to look at, and it comes down to the unconscious and the shadow, is some of our ideas around romance exist in the realms of idealism. And that idealism, romance, fantasy is fine, but it's yin, so it's non-conscious. And if it's not controlled, it possesses the relationship. I'm saying romance generally. Romance, let's say, let's say ideology. Oop. Ideology generally speaking, because uh, you know romance comes from Roman, which is a type of um, fiction. It's a fiction from the uh, 16th century onwards that would give a very um, highly sentimentalized, hyperbolic version of love, and romance meant men committed great acts of chivalry. Do you know what chivalry is in Serbian? What is chivalry? What? Vita. Vita Shvog. Okay. What was the other option that was easier for me? Thank you. Cavalier. My God. Vita Shvog. <laughs> Are you torturing me? Cavalier. Do you like the idea of chivalry? No. Who said no? Why not? It's untruthful. Okay. What would be better than chivalry, do you think? One sec, uh, let's, uh, an open heart, okay. Yes, for that you would need an integrated shadow and you need to be operating from authenticity. What is chivalry? What is chivalry? What is it when a man is chivalrous? Wow, silence. Well, okay, so, so you know what we just hit? We just hit a blind spot in the unconscious map. We know what romance is, we know what the word chivalry is, we go, what chivalry? Does he have like a horse and armor and a really big lance? Ooh. If he doesn't, is he is, is chivalry is chevalier? He should be, uh, or caballero, he should have a horse. Where's his fucking horse? I don't see many men with horses now. So what? So let's, let's try and put some meat on the bones of chivalry. What is it if a man is chivalrous? Like masculine? He's masculine, interesting, interesting. What does that mean? That he like shows that he's the strong, the strong one in the Masculine, so he's protective. Somebody in the back said takes charge. Takes charge, we're back to horses again. So masculine is being protective and taking charge. And this is chivalry. What else is chivalry? What is it? Kindness, okay. Kindness. You know, in English we say uh, uh, gentle and it means kind. And we say gentlemen, and we used to say gentlewomen. Those who were gentle were not peasants. They were nobility. There is a class issue here. There's a historical class issue here, which we've never resolved, but there's a fantasy issue, a historical issue, and a class issue. We can't, well, can we all be nobility? 
Uh, it's hard political question. I don't know what. Right, but the point is, this is this is the blind spot. A man who is chivalrous is moneyed. He has wealth and he has land. He is not a chevalier if he owns no horse. He cannot bear a standard unless he's landed. Uh, landed means he has land. He has land, and he's born into intergenerational wealth. So, of course, if I am a lady. I would like a chivalrous man because he's wealthy. So then we mentioned the transactional element of it. Do women need men now? Less. But in those times, I can't go out and lead an army and steal all their gear from a foreign country and bring it home and claim it as my own. Yay for Britain. <laughs> but that's what they did. That's how they acquired their wealth. So we said that the chivalry is masculine. Masculinity is protective. It takes charge. What else does masculinity do? Protects, protective. I don't have shit writing, but Jesus, narcissistic injury. Anything else? What else is masculine? How do you say that man is a masculine man? What would he need to do? I don't know. He's control. He's controlling, bullying. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. He's controlling. No, sorry, he takes. Sorry, sorry. He he takes control. He takes control. Are you, he provides. Are any of you ever offended if a man takes control? No. You can tell me. I won't judge you. In context, it's okay. But sometimes it's not okay. How do you resolve that? How are you going to tell men when it's okay to take control and when it isn't? What are the rules? Uh, when, when he's best at it. When he's best, best at it. When he's skilled at it. Yes. So are all men skilled at knowing when to take control? No. Do you see how we're in the realms right now of unconscious rules and unconscious givens? All of this is kind of ideology. We, we, we didn't invent this yesterday. And do you see how this clashes with our values? Like feminism. Okay, we're equal. We, we said, right, fair, equal, whatever. Okay, but that, that ideology says equal. So we should be equalized. But a man is protective, he takes charge and he's controlling. Do you think like a hard left feminist would enjoy these two? <laughs> well, but okay, so who in here isn't a feminist? Put your hand up if you're not a feminist. Boris, you're a brave man. <laughs> Boris, you're brave, I'm not. Um, who, who's, who's, who thinks feminism is a good idea? Oh, no hands up. Damn, so you all think it's a bad idea? <laughs> it's, it's a terrible idea? Okay, so, so, so we're back again into unconscious rules, aren't we? So you say, I'm a feminist, and I go, feminism, fuck that shit. And you go, well, don't you think I should have equal rights? And I go, yeah. What is your feminism? What does your feminism look like? The whole thing, the whole thing. Should it be women over men? So it's not women are better than men. Can you hear how in some areas in this echo chamber it's become men are shit, women are great? Okay, men hear that <laughs> and they internalize it and then something really bad psychologically happens that we're gonna to come to in a minute. I just wanna point out like our ideas that we have as givens. Um, a given is something that is just assumed. We think it's safe, I think it's dangerous. I think all of this is dangerous. We haven't had the conversation. Like, chival like, I don't own a horse. I'm a working class guy. What a 
motorbike maybe, that would be sexy. But I'm supposed to be protective and take charge and take control, but if I get this wrong, some people are gonna get really pissed off and I could be accused of a crime. So that makes masculinity dangerous. And there's two messages there. Be chivalrous, take control, be protective, but don't patronize me. I also want my power and my freedom. Hiya. So that then is something that we have to negotiate. It's something that needs to be negotiated, renegotiated, because now everybody's confused and everybody's pissed off. And occasionally we ask for, th why is your coat sat there? Is that for your friend? Oh, okay. Yes, always. Yes, closer is always better. Um, <laughs> just two meters closer. <laughs> um, so, what was I saying? So, so there's a lot of confusion. There's an awful lot of confusion. And there's, there's asking for things where we haven't thought about the consequence of what we're asking for. So there are things that seem like a good idea on paper in an idealistic utopia, but we don't live in an idealistic utopia. If you cut men's parts off, I do swear, but I'm not gonna swear just yet, it's coming. If you cut men's parts off, you can't then complain that they're feminized and emasculated, because who cut their parts off? Who's made it illegal for men to be men? Women's power, this is a Jordan Peterson point, women's power over men is in their capacity to shame them into submission, and shame has been leveraged broad scale. Yay, now what's the consequence? Testosterone levels are plummeting. I don't know about in Serbia, but in the UK and America, the average 20-year-old in 2021 has the testosterone of a 60-year-old uh, in 1940. Our, our hormones are altered now, and I think that's an ideological infection because any masculine impulse or urge is criminalized. Or if it's not criminalized, it's made ridiculous, pointless. This is a problem, this is a real problem. Um, we mentioned trust. What is affecting our ability to trust each other now, do you think? That little device in your pocket that keeps bleeping. <laughs> and experience, experience, trauma, right? So there's history, there's trauma. Have any of you had a bad history with, with relationships? <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> so there's, there's a history that creates trust issues. Why is it so hard to trust each other now? Because I do think this is a unique time in human history. People always cheated. They always did crazy stuff and were promiscuous and whatever, but it's unique now. Lack of respecting boundaries is definitely one of them. Anything else that makes people less trustworthy now? I think we live in a promiscuous culture on every level. Musical choice, foods, clothes, everything is everything. Do whatever you want all the time, 24-7. Okay, so I'm, I'm imbibing that ideological message. But then you choose one woman and live with her for 50 years in the same house. Well, hang on a second, two minutes ago you were telling me I had all the choice I could possibly want. Now it's over. We're giving each other and ourselves very, very mixed messages. Very mixed messages. So we are, well, I would go one step further. Number one, we live in a promiscuous culture, meaning that in a, a commodified culture, you have to be promiscuous as a good consumer. Tonight you eat Thai, tomorrow you eat Indian, you buy Nikes, then you buy Reeboks, whatever. There's no loyalty. What is loyalty now? Are you lo 
I mean, maybe in Serbia, but are you loyal to your job? Are you loyal to your employer? Are you? Is it, do you still do that here? Do employers take care of people in Serbia? Oh, there's a laugh. Okay, so good. No. So you just move to your next job. Unless you're in an exceptional position in employment, you won't be loyal to the company you work for. Where else in your life outside of relationships are you loyal? Where is everybody loyal? Sorry? So friendships, where the intimacy is very low risk. There is intimacy, but it's quite hard for your friend to devastate you and break your heart. You're okay. Um, where else would you be loyal? Family. Sorry? Family. Okay, so family, friends, where else? Your pets. You'd be loyal to your pets? Yeah. You've never stroked another cat? <laughs> you never looked at another cat and thought, that's a nice cat? Why are you lying? Why don't you just tell no, me? I thought you meant like, because you would like leave your cat or your dog behind. But you wouldn't, yeah. But, and people are also loyal to their social media, you know? Okay, are they? Loyal to their social media. How, what does that look like? Because they're like obsessed with it. Like, no okay. What, they'll always have it with, there with them. I would, I would say, I would say uh, chronically and unhealthily attached, but that, that would look like loyalty. But you don't have options with social media. There's no options. You have Instagram and Facebook. Oh, sorry, that's the same company. Um, and that, there's, there's no, it's the lack of choice again. Where there's choice, there's diminishments in loyalty. Why should I be loyal to my girlfriend or wife? Why? I love the silences, they're my favorite. And you're, you're thinking, I can see it, but, but why should I be loyal to my girlfriend? Because I want. Sorry? Because I want. Okay, because I want to. Why not? I didn't ask that, I asked why should. It is a yang question. Why should I be loyal to my girlfriend or wife? Okay, anything else? It's an agreement, at last. <laughs> That's a moral issue. So do we want to have a conversation about morality in an entirely amoral world? How the f like, why should people be loyal to each other? We, we live in a totally immoral world. There's no church, there's no God, there's no philosophy. We don't teach morality in schools. If I'm with a girl and she's locked in and uh, she lives with me and she's taking care of me and I meet another girl at work and I can have some tea and biscuits with her, why, tell me why not. Why shouldn't I do it? Because I'll burn in hell, the hell I no longer believe in. Um, these, are, these are, like you said, it's an agreement. It's an agreement. But honoring contracts, people still do, but I've got the impression that the, the general consensus is when it comes to love, love is a battlefield. And you don't need to honor a, honor a contract in a battlefield. You don't need to do that. You've made a contract with the enemy. You, you signed the deal with the devil, fuck him. Yeah, you said you wouldn't cheat, but you know, it's not like I planned it. It's not like I planned it. It just happened, right? You've heard that one before. I know I have. So that happens. If we have no moral compass, then there is no reason to not be doing these things. The fair exchange. Do you think there's fair exchange between men and women now? The silence is in my fave. I can see you thinking though, because your eyes are like that. It's not fair. Do you think generally it's fair or it's not fair? Okay, if you think it's generally not fair, put your hand up. If you think it's generally fair, put your hand up. Okay, nobody thinks it's generally, so one person thinks it's generally fair. Would you be comfortable 
uh, st- not I won't ask you to do it. I'm saying philosophically, would you be comfortable stating what a fair exchange would look like? I'm not going to ask you to do it. Uh, any of you? Would you want to figure that out? I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to say what a fair exchange is in a relationship. How would we know if it was a fair exchange? Negotiate. Sorry? Who said ne- Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're throwing your voice. <laughs> Negotiate. So... Within the relationship, you have to have a conversation and, a, and set what the different boundaries are and the different expectations are. In your failed relationships, did you do that within your first two weeks? I know you didn't. That's why they failed. Because <laughs> people got confused. People got real confused about what the expectation was, what the rules were, and what the consequences would be if those rules were broken. Perhaps none. So what I'm talking about here is we're all in the realm of the unconscious today. Trauma. When people are traumatized, and I believe the world is, is traumatized pre-pandemic, pre-all of this, we had major, major problems. And part of it is an ideological infection, which is another way of saying shadow possession. Ideology exists in shadow. I go to a, if we all went to a shopping mall now and asked people why they're buying what they're buying, why they vote the way they vote, they haven't got a fucking clue. But they're doing it anyway. This is ideology. So... Um, let's get into uh, the, the harsh revelations from, uh, from Sam Vaknin. I don't know if you guys saw my recent interview with Sam, where he broke my heart. <laughs> Standard. I think, I think he enjoyed it. Mm, that is awful. Uh, okay. So, oh, that's very small. I do apologize. Let me read it out. Invulnerability signaling. These are the six things that Sam has identified as being things that make intimacy and relationships very, very difficult. These are general cultural trends. It's not saying that everybody does this, but it's also undeniable that these are memes. Do you all know what meme really means? It's not a funny picture on the internet. Um, it, became, it came to mean that. It's actually Richard Dawkins who defined memes. Memes operate like genes, sorry for the English, So it's genetic, is mimetic, but they're the genetics of thoughts. So a meme is a thought that carries and propagates and mutates through a population. A meme. How do you say it in Serbian? Kakusakaja. Memeski. I mean, it's internationalized. So you would just say it, meme. Yeah, you can. Huh? Yeah, but masculine. Masculine, not meme. Meme. In Serbian, everything is masculine. Meme. <laughs> Show me your memes. So, invulnerability signaling. Both genders signal to each other that they are autonomous, meaning hyper-independent, goal-orientated, unemotional, uninvolved, and totally self-sufficient. Would you agree that this is a meme in modern culture? That we are signaling to one another that we do not need each other. The concept, I mean, you just go on TikTok or Instagram or whatever and look up boss bitch, bad bitch, alpha male... Uh, you know, whatever, whatever the things are. I don't need anybody and that makes me awesome. Pure narcissism, pure narcissism, and it's infantile. And yet it propagates, it's poison, it's a mental poison. And it's repeating and repeating and repeating. And whether we like it or not, the ideology that we swim in, it gets into us. So on some level, you uh, will be judging yourself to see whether you're living up to the cultural expectation of invulnerability signaling. You can't 
go to a guy and say, I love you, I need you, I can't live without you. I really need you to protect me and to control me and to, what was the other thing that we said that wasn't very politically correct? None of it's politically correct, right? Sorry? It would be seen as clingy. You'd be like, oh, you're clingy, you're clingy. Think about that for a second before I go into the next thing. Like, none of it's politically correct. None of it's politically correct. Your sexuality is the least politically correct thing in the world. Relationships are not politically correct. We cannot pass the purity test for political correctness and move forward. It's anti-life, it's unrealistic, it's utopian, and it's infected with this sort of malignant equality where it should be focused on fairness. Because we are not equal, are we? We're different in every way you can think of, and that's what generates attraction, polarity between the sexes. Masculine man, feminine female, that's where attraction comes from. If we lose that, there's no more attraction. It disappears. So, uh, what was I saying? Political correctness. Uh, I'm not going to pester you about it because I get the sense here that it's fairly socially conservative, but we are going to talk about shadow integration. So footnote, part of your shadow is your sexuality. There are things that you will desire sexually that are not politically correct, that are not culturally aligned. That is normal and healthy. Freud, usually thought of as a patriarchal nutcase, was actually very progressive with this. He said over the years he'd worked with so many clients that had sexual perversions that it was so ubiquitous we should drop the idea altogether. Slavoj Žižek takes it one step further, of course. He says there's always a third element in sexuality. It's never two people in a room having sex. There is some third fantasy element, whatever it is, some boundary, like it's always politically incorrect because sex is boundary breaking. That's what will excite you. Do you want to have politically correct sex? For the love of God, <laughs> is there no joy left in life? <laughs> it's awful. I mean, I, it would be physically impossible, one imagines. So, <laughs> yes. So uh, the second one is, uh, this is uh, from Sam Vaknin, gender vertigo. The abolition of gender roles and sexual scripts engendered ubiquitous confusion with regards to appropriate behaviors and codes of conduct. So when I'm asking you questions today and it goes silent, I'm not, I'm not like, it's not a criticism. This is totally normal. Everybody goes silent. Men go silent, women go silent, nobody knows. We're trying to do this thing that is key to life. A life without love is miserable. A life with love is bearable. <laughs> it's okay, you know, not too bad. But everything that we suffer, if, if, if we love, it's worthwhile. You are very naughty indeed. Um, yeah, so, and we haven't defined it. We haven't healed it. We haven't prioritized it. And I think that's a real problem. I think a loveless world is not one worth living in and people are already choosing to check out. They haven't quite made the decision, they're half in, they're half out. I'm not saying that, the, that they would literally kill themselves, though many people are choosing to do that in higher numbers than we've seen, ever seen before, but there's different ways of killing yourself. There's different ways of checking out, dissociating, alcoholism, drug abuse, various addictions, whatever. There's loads of ways of turning away from life Killing yourself is the most literal, raw version of that, but many of us turn away from life. Uh, I mean, you, everybody in here who's been traumatized will at least have spent a period of time where they turn away from life. 
because life is painful, life is frightening, life is risk. So when we look at um, these gender roles and sexuality and everything else, and I'm asking you the questions about the ideology and you're silent, good. That is shadow work. That is Jungian shadow work. There's a gap. Fill it. Fill it. Every evil conflict, poison, aggression, jealousy will fill that space unless you fill it, not with ideology, but with a philosophy. I know it's a lot. I don't want to lecture you, but I'm going to anyway, because you're here now. You, took, you went through bad traffic. You're not going to leave. So I said, we have to totally redefine love and romance. We have to develop a moral compass. You have to. I know it's boring and it sounds preachy, but I'm, I'm super liberal. I'm super like, do whatever you want to do. If it makes you happy, please do that. Happy humans are good humans. Happy humans don't steal, they don't kill, they don't rob each other. Happy human, good. Happy human, human in love. Happy human, sexually fulfilled. Happy human experiences, good orgasm, everything, okay. That's how I think. But if you don't have a morality there, you're gonna get, you, you're, you're gonna get exploited because you don't know good from evil and you don't know how to adhere to good from evil. So if I have the power to say, look, when the girl I'm with does this, it's not just annoying, it's wrong. It's wrong and it's not sustainable over time. I'm more likely to leave than if I go, oh, it's annoying when my girlfriend does that. I wish she wouldn't do that. That's not a hard boundary. I'm not gonna do anything about that. We can't even see risk when we have no morality and we live in a completely immoral, immoral and amoral culture. So we can't detect risk. So people are getting trapped in narcissistic relationships over and over again. And I'm like, the person will have told you they're an asshole a hundred different ways within the first 10 minutes of you meeting them, but they're still attractive and you still want to get with them. I'll fix them. I'll make them better. Why is that attractive, by the way? Just as a side note, why is it attractive if somebody's an asshole? It's not. It's not? Why do you lie? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, how, in your last one, how, how early was it in the relationship before you saw something that was a bit weird or a bit off? Yes, so you saw it. So to the Zizek point again, you're in the fetishist split. You know and you do not know. You know, but you operate from a different level of knowing. We split our own knowingness. What's attractive about somebody who's an arsehole? You could feel like they would be able to protect you. Anything else? Familiar. It's familiar, okay. So there's, the, there's like this weird uh, um, animus masculinity thing. Uh, there's the, prote uh, there's, there's, what did you say? Familiarity, sorry, familiarity. What were you going to say? They look like they're free. They're unpredictable. So they're exciting, right? It feels like life. It feels like strength. It feels like courage. Again, in the realm of the unconscious, ladies, if, if this is something that is happening, and I don't want to mansplain your own biological impulses to you, but masculinity is boundary breaking. 
masculinity is not law-abiding. It breaks laws, it breaks through barriers, it breaks through walls. We've got to sort out what is it that I intrinsically find attractive about a human being by, at the biological level and how that's getting confused with somebody who just shows up as a complete idiot. And then you have the other issue, which is that people, or let's say, okay, so now I'm talking to women about men, men who are very, very civilized, good boys. I just felt the temperature change in the room straight away. I mean, it's like, oh God, really? It's, it's not exciting. There's nothing to tame there. So I'm not a woman, you may have noticed, but if I was a woman, I would say, okay, if it's in the core of my nature to, um, I have a friend, he's a psychologist, and he, he wrote a paper on why little girls love horses. So he says that female nature and female sexuality is built around the idea of taming a horse. It's bigger than you. It's muscular, it's strong, it can run really fast. And if you can ride it, sorry, you can go faster than you other, sorry. <laughs> it's Freud, not me. Um, it, it will take you places you otherwise, and it would be exhilarating. Makes sense, right? So if I was, if we're talking about love and relationships, it's not specific to women, but women are here. I would look at that. I'd be like, ah, am I taming a horse? Am I, what am I doing here? What's exciting about this guy? Because we all agree, right? There's a difference in your selection process if you're trying to have three hot nights in Barcelona versus building a relationship for life, right? I hope there are different selection, my God, I hope <laughs> there are different selection processes, yeah? You guys look so blank. <laughs> Please let it be different selection process. <laughs> the, hot, the three hot nights in Barcelona guy should not be the guy that you're trying to build a life with. And that's how the story starts. <laughs> Thank you. What was that show on Netflix? Was it called 365 Days? Did you all see it? There's like, uh, maybe I got the name wrong. It's this show that was super, super popular. And there's a guy in it who basically kidnaps a girl and then makes her fall in love with him. And it was hugely popular with women all across the globe. And the guy in it, if you watch this, utter drivel, is the most two-dimensional bore. But he's, uh, he's Italian. End of story. He's tall. It's an awful thing. It's an awful, awful thing. But I mean, he doesn't even speak. He's just silent, brooding, bullying, moody and then shags people, and that's it. Why was that so popular would be my question to you. It's not a question for me to answer because I'm not a woman. I am your friend. <laughs> Why was that so popular? Where do I see that in myself? This is a conversation I've had with my sister multiple times, though it has helped her not one fucking iota. Um, each relationship and institution has to be negotiated from scratch in every instance, and this results in destructive and depleting friction and eventual atomization. Have you guys experienced this where you have to renegotiate the rules of a relationship again and again? And you'll be with somebody and you'll say that's cheating and they'll go, it's not cheating. You must have had that. Mm -hmm. What is cheating? What is not cheating? And you have to renegotiate all the time. You've never had that? Yes. No, you look confused. You're like, no, 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 no. Um, it's common. It's common now. For like, so people get, get into the relationship, they have to reestablish from scratch each and every time what is appropriate behavior and what is not appropriate behavior. Under those circumstances, culturally, where you do have people with NPD, they can slide right through and right in. Because how would you stop them? You can't stop them because they're going, well, I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. Well, this isn't right. Yeah, it is. What's wrong with you? 
Everybody's doing it. What's your problem? Then the gaslighting starts. This is normal behavior. And then you're fighting a losing battle. You're going, no, I'm pretty sure it's not. Can I phone a friend? Can I ask somebody? Like, I'm pretty sure this is not what people do. We've lost something there because of this uh, gender vertigo. You all know, but I'm saying it for the camera. Gender is the social construct. Sex is the, the flesh, the, the, what you are born with. The gender vertigo is around what these roles are, the social construct of these roles, what is okay and what isn't okay. Under these circumstances, the rates of narcissistic abuse flourish because people you should have told to fuck off in week one, you're living with for two years. And then you go, I should watch some YouTube videos. This is really bad. <laughs> Which is how you found me. Uh, okay, number three. Um, another factor that is uh, making intimacy very, very difficult. It's called the stalled revolution. We'll come back to this in the next slide and I'll explain it a little bit more because I had to look it up. I didn't know what it was. Both men and women now regard themselves in masculine terms. Both have become breadwinners. Women, uh, the money makers, English expression. Women have uh, surpassed men in many realms. Politically correct and woke groups and media revel in this uniformity. One inane example mainstream media have recently resorted to is the moronic phrase, pregnant people. This is like political, correct? Have you not heard of this? You can't say woman. If, uh, so there's pregnant people. That's how you say it, pregnant people. So have you had tension in relationships over this, over who's making the money, who's not making the money, who's doing what? You said that the um, loyalty would be less if you didn't need the man as much. So that would imply that uh, loyalty is sometimes based on necessity. It's transactional. Is it okay to define a relationship in transactional terms? No. Says who? Go on. Um, why? Good. Well done for saying no. Courageous. Let's see where that courage gets you. Um, <laughs> why, why, would, uh, why is it not okay? Okay. Sure. It's also not very romantic, is it? No. no. Sounds like trading. Sounds like trading. And yet, and yet, when we choose a partner, are we not trading? It's, mm -hmm. <laughs> are we not trading when we choose a partner? These are the conversations we have to have. We have to have these conversations with ourselves at least, or in rooms like this with each other, possibly with your partner, if they have a sense of humor and humility. Like, you, you have, you, we have, like, come on, what are you guys doing? You out there having sex and relationships for charity because you feel sorry for people? Well, some of you, actually that's a bad example. So yeah, okay, we've all, we've all done that at least once. I'll put my hand up to that. But not normally, right? Is normally it's because you find the person attractive and you probably have specific coordinates for that, physical, psychological, lifestyle-based. But if it's pure love and pure romance, that shouldn't be the case. So we're not as romantic as we think we are would be, would be my thing. And I would want to have that difficult, unromantic conversation up front. It is transactional. It is tra like You're not going to get with somebody who's less than you think you could get with. I hope, I hope, and you should be transactional. You should do the best you can. And we shouldn't, there shouldn't be a social taboo around that 
Because then we're forced to be liars. Do the best you can. Do the best you can in every area of your life. Don't get with somebody because, I don't know, you're trying to resolve their trauma or save them. or That's a really shit reason to get into a relationship. Life is short and it's tough. Do the best you can. So I would say, even though it's like uncomfortable, embrace the transactional element of it because it is there. If we address it, that's an example of us integrating the shadow. If we repress it, then we're in shadow negation, which leads to shadow possession. And in those gaps, as I said to you earlier, every feature and demon of hell will creep. It will be really, really bad. Maybe not straight away, but it can be, you know, for the karma to set in, it could take like a few years, but it becomes a real mess. What didn't stop you getting with a narcissist? Yeah, because he will lie his ass off to you and say, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. Um, really, like the transactional conversation with your partner is somewhat important. I personally would want to be with a girl who could have that and had the self-awareness, humility and sense of humor to be like, yeah, dude, I'm getting with you because you have a nice face and loads of money, which I do. How long has this been? Why, why am I doing this every fucking time in Serbia? I'm like trying to lose followers and upset people. Um, but... Now you remind me of some cultures where parents negotiate to come into relation. They speak through their kind of conception. Like India? Yes, like in India and... Arranged marriages. And what do you deduce from that, madam? Sorry? <laughs> Listen, okay, so when it's it... It's like real third party, it's not imagined third. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yes, I've heard this many, many times. Okay, so arranged marriages work, yeah? Why? Because they live in cultures where if you try and divorce the person, the brothers will stab you to death. Or burn you. Or burn you, or stove your head in with a rock. It's, it, they, yeah, they work. <laughs> but if we rate the success of a marriage on whether the two people left when you're in prison, like, it's, it's not, it's not it, doesn't, it doesn't rate anything. It's an interesting point, though, and we should all think about this philosophically. Why has, up until now, it always been arranged marriages? It probably was here. I'm sure it was across all of Europe. You wouldn't just be like, well, you can't swipe on Tinder. You know, your family... I don't know, a baker's, that family makes shoes, they're at the same sort of economic level, you know each other, you're getting with each other. I don't like him, his breath smells, I don't give a fuck, get with him. There's no choice. There's never been choice. We've had choice dropped on us, evolutionarily, like this, and we haven't got a fucking clue what to do with it. Well, because now when one little thing is wrong, people think they can just leave and go find a human being and get divorced, where yeah. then That's your fantasy. They actually sat there hating them for years and wishing they were dead. <laughs> I don't believe that in the past people were, were more uh, evolved spiritually than we are or had any, any uh, different 
um, drives or lust or anything like that. I think that in the past, people just put up with it because if they didn't, they'd get their arms and legs chopped off. It was brutal. Life has been brutal since the dawn of time. It's only not brutal now, and it's, it's super, super confusing. Do you want to go back to arranged marriages? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're just you're just saying. But we are talking about different uh, uh, possibilities, and mm. when you mention transaction, mm. uh, it's not popular in in, uh, in love transaction. But what do you mean it's not popular in love? This is all people are doing in love is transactioning. Yes, but when you see movies and everything, you you lies, about, uh, lies. Look at me. Look, ideological poison. It's Western decadence from these capitalist pig dogs. It's, um, it's really screwing people up. These romantic movies, romantic comedies and all of that, it's really, really screwing people up. To come back to what I was saying before, um, the, the serious point is you must have a conversation with yourself about the transactional elements of the relationship. Please, be honest, at least with yourself. If not with your partner, you, you don't have to because some people can take it, some people can't. But you must be honest about what you want. You must say, like, and, and it's your right, by the way. You're giving your life to somebody. You're giving everything. There's, there's nothing more that you can give to somebody than this love, where you end up living with someone. Your time, your attention, your care, your body, everything, and you get none of it back. It's a huge investment. Be transactional. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't say don't be transactional. I would say own the fact that it's transactional. But probably better to, my humble opinion, better to have that conversation out in the open with a sense of humor. Rather than pretending, oh, I just love you because I love your soul, really? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, I mentioned So fluidity, both biological and socio-culturally, determine genders are now up for grabs and subject to alteration. In an environment where gender has become more fluid, and everything is up for grabs, and you can wake up tomorrow and say, I'm a different gender, or I'm this gender, or I'm a fifth gender, or whatever else. Obviously, that is going to create confusion within the collective about what the roles are. Because up until, I don't know, recent, like five, six years ago, that wasn't a thing. It was for a very small fringe of society. Radical leftists, radical leftists. I, I knew people like this at university, I was one of them. And I believed in it 100%. Social constructionism, because I took a lot of acid. I was like, everything is made up, everything is created out of language, be whatever you want to be, boom, let's go. There are advantages to that for the individual. There are zero advantages to that for the collective, for society at large. It, is, it has a terrible effect on people. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be compassionate and kind. My God, you know, just be human. If somebody's not doing anything to affect you, let them do what they want. But this is not that. We're living in a time where this is now mainstream ideology, mainstream culture. The fringe has become mainstream, maybe less so in Serbia, but it's coming. You will have it too, eventually, as, as the economy progresses and you get further into Western culture, it will arrive here and you will see divorce rates go through the roof and you will have the same problems that we have uh, in the UK and in America. It will come. It can be guarded against to some degree if you know that it's happening. If you know it's coming and you know that it's happening, I think we got blindsided by it. We just thought, yeah, this is nice. We're being really kind. Everybody can just do whatever they want. 
No, no. Everybody doing whatever they want is a mess for the collective. And we've never lived like that. No human society has ever progressed on the ideal of rampant individualism and do whatever you want. It's, 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 um, at a certain level, that becomes unkind. That is a kind of narcissism. If I do whatever I want, why would I do anything at all? It's pure chaos. Sometimes we have to do stuff that we don't want to do. It's amazing that I have to say that out loud, <laughs> but I do. So gender fluidity has also affected it. Define agency. Agency and self-efficacy are gradually being infused with aggression and transmogrified, sorry, Sam Backman's words, sorry, um, into in-your-face assertiveness and reckless defiance. So there's a style of being now that's quite hostile. And we say, this is me being independent. This is me doing whatever I want to do. But it doesn't need to be this hostile. I, I, I knew a girl a long time ago in Malaysia, very, very sweet girl. And uh, she was bullied by a boyfriend. And then eventually she went away for like uh, on a week where she was trained in a new selling technique for this company that she was going to work for. And she came back and she was, hello. Ex so you're, you're welcome and I forgive you. She came back and she had this really aggressive attitude, really obnoxious confrontational attitude. And when she was asked about it, she said, no, I'm just being assertive. There are ways of being assertive. There are ways of being assertive that still respect the boundaries of other people. We've gone into a, a stage of defiant agency. And it's if somebody is being like, look, if, if you try and engage in a relationship with me and I'm engaged in defiant agency, there will be no difference in your experience than if I was a full-blown narcissist. Because if I have defiant agency, do you know this word, agency? Uh, the capacity to act uh, for yourself. But when it's defiant, it's conflict, it's uh, confrontational. You will experience no difference between me and a full-blown narcissist if I have defiant agency. Because every time you ask me for help or cooperation, I'll say, well, that's not about me and I'm all about me and just doing what I'm doing and I'm a bad bitch or alpha male or whatever the fucking thing is. So I'm not going to do that because I'm defiant. So I have to be hostile. Yes? You look like you're going to ask me something. No, okay. I misread your micro expressions. I'm sorry. I'm a codependent. I need to get to you before you can get to yourself. Um, you have a question. Let me help you with it. En enshrined uh, double standard. So the claims of empowerment... Um, in this sort of whatever echo chamber version of pseudo-feminism that we have now, broad scale culturally, are belied by the interjection of the male chauvinistic double standard and by rampant sexual self-trashing and self-harming behaviours. The duality of self-denial and self-deception, hello, grab a seat, is dry, you're, you're fine, <laughs> I forgive you, I'm magnanimous like that, is driving the genders apart. Men and women are giving up on each other in droves and for good. So. What Sam mentioned here, this is probably the, the, uh, the most controversial point, was that um, sexual promiscuity is being conflated with independence and power. That is disastrous. Absolutely disastrous. Um, to be honest with you, as I say, I'm a liberal person. Just like let everybody do whatever they want to do. It's fine. But even when I was a kid, I was like, we're really just not moderating how people have sex. Like if you want to drive a car, you need a license, but people can just shag as much as they want and have kids. And my mum was explaining, she's like, yeah. I'm like, there's no penalty for that. No, the government will pay for it. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, what? I, I don't, and I'm not, I don't know what the solution to that is, 
and I'm not suggesting it should be regulated in law. I don't think that's a society that I would enjoy living inside of. But I also don't think it's a good thing that we have the cultural hyper-normalization of just rampant promiscuous behavior. And we're all just going, yeah, that's great. That's really cool, that's fine. I'm gonna be called alt-right when this video goes up. I, I, I know I am, but what I would say to counter that is philosophically, anybody who, who would say that that means I'm, I'm right-wing or whatever, how can a culture progress if everybody, if everybody lived, if everyone lived by that rule? And you always have to ask this, if we have a rule in a culture, it can't, it's not just for one people, one person or five unique individuals. If everyone lived like that, what are we gonna have? No You're gonna have no culture, which is what you have in the United Kingdom, because this has been going on for 30, 40 years and the culture's dead. There is no core culture in the United Kingdom anymore. Because, and I would say it is because, many factors, but rampant promiscuity is one of the things. We were just told, apparently, I wasn't alive at the time, fuck as much as you want, have babies with whoever you want, it's all good, there's gonna be no shaming around this. Uh, you know, and it, men and women just as bad as each other. Men irresponsibly having sex and then disappearing. Women irresponsibly having sex and then dealing with kids that they didn't even wanna have and becoming alcoholics and drug users and all. I'm like, I know I sound like a conservative. I sound like my grandfather. <laughs> God damn it. No, but it's needed to go a step back. I mean, it was like we were... Uh, all the way back. Where should we go back to? <laughs> uh, first of all, nothing is cultivated. That is the thing. I totally agree on that one. To go back, like we, um, uh, we exchanged uh, the meaning of like really basic rules. Mm. Uh, not not rules, but uh, values in a sense like uh, like when we speak uh, about love, we uh, we want to possess it. We think like we can trade love. Love mm. is not belonging to anyone. Mm. It is uh, it is like a field which can, which can be cultivated and it's not personalized. Mm. So uh, and like one of the things. Okay, sorry, <laughs> you are not making. <laughs> No, I like it. I always like it, but it always sounds like a doctoral thesis. I'm like, there's a PhD here somewhere. <laughs> okay, and then the next level, it will, ah, yes. No, 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 I, I hear you. I, hear, I do hear you. I, I just, I just want to be clear, like, there's, there's, um, uh, there's a thing called a reactionary, and sometimes, apparently, it means right-wingers who want to go back to another time. I don't think there was a better time. I can't say... Uh, I want to live in that time or that place. Like, oh, I want to live in feudal Japan because that or the times of chivalry with the horses and the ladies. And like, because then who was it good for? Like 1% of the population and everybody else was peasants with no teeth starving to death. I don't think there's a time before that's better. And I don't want to, I don't want to imply that. Also, we can never go back. There's never a going back. There's only a moving forward, but how? How do we move forward? I, I really believe, I don't know, maybe people think this is an exaggeration, this is an existential threat to humanity. This is really bad. And it's not because of like population crises, though that we are seeing the beginning in the West of they're already reporting it, the population's gonna dip in about uh, 15 years time. It's not even about that. I'm concerned with today. I see mentally ill people. I see people struggling and in pain. And it's the simplest shit that would make them happy. If we just had some more rules around this and more cohesion around this, people would be way happier. Humans are very adaptable. 
Look, if you had a relationship where it was like 60, 70% okay, you would be 100% happier. But the problem is you're in relationships where it's like 15% okay. And it's not that you're ungrateful, it's just that you don't like being trampled on. And we're all getting trampled on to a degree. That's, that's a real problem, it's, and it's not necessary. This is not necessary, this is ideological, it's not economic. It's free, love is free, attention is free, philosophy is completely free. We can totally fix this. It's unacceptable that it's got to the level that it's got to where we even have to ha uh, have these kinds of conversations. Yeah. Yes, yes, please, lower your expectations. <laughs> Welcome to my dark new world. You got 60%, it's enough for you. Yeah, 70, 80%, but, but if you think about it, like, have you been in an 80% relationship where it was 80% right? Have you personally? Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm the same, I never have. And when I, when I think like, what would 80% look like? What would that be? I'd be like, I'd be skipping through the field singing <laughs> with like stars in my eyes, like, ah. You know, 80% eight, is right. Well, that's, that's why 60 sounds reasonable. Yeah, 60 is, ugh. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, no, I agree, like we should aim for higher. We should, we should, we should all aim for higher because nothing in this is something that the other person can't give. Because you, unless you're asking for something unreasonable, I don't know if you are or you aren't, if you are, God help you. But uh, respect, uh, not lying, uh, basic loyalty, what do we say, that it should be a fair exchange? How about trust. we, just? Uh, trust. Oh, trust, trust. We have some trust. Why, what's the excuse? What's the excuse for not being given trust, loyalty, a fair exchange? Trying to subvert values. What I've noticed personally is that with subverting, well, okay, people who don't have values of their own, they're not philosophers, they're not even delving into building their own values, mm. are being sold ideology on a plate and mm. told this is, this, this is morality. In mm. fact, it's a subversion of morality. Yeah, they're so junk like values, courage, aren't they? Uh, things like trust are being presented, I mean, from my experience, in the UK, and in Western Europe is, okay, those are somehow values that are, oh, Western, um, white supremacist, dirty yeah. values that need to be transformed completely. Colonial values, yeah. dead white men. It's, it's really frightening because you can't actually have conversations anymore. No. I remember growing up in like the 90s and we'd still have conversations. Mm. Nowadays, you cannot have conversations. If someone sees that you're from the wrong tribe, yeah. they will let you know, and it's borderline violent. They will let you know, yeah. that they'll send signals, and it's not even, you always talk about like, you know, wisely about microaggression being um, a strategy that we can use, and we must mm. use as animals. I've noticed that this is beyond microaggression. This is like full-blown, okay, we're codependent, but I keep meeting people who have full-blown personality disorders. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're not aware of it because they've been told they're on the right side of history, mm -hmm. they represent the right tribe, and therefore mm. they can do whatever they want. I mean, I just remember, you know, Antifa. Like Antifa, mm. the anti-fascists will beat you to a pulp mm. because you are a heretic. Mm. That is, for me, like symbolic of so many exchanges that I have. I think um, when it comes to like that, that whole movement and that whole um, drive, it has a certain vibe to it, a certain style, and it makes the rest of us walk on eggshells. Yep. It's also extremely labile in its self-image and its self-rules. 
So when you say it seems like a broad scale personality disorder, it seems like malignant borderline personality disorder writ large. Super, super fragile and very, very focused on bullying everybody else into submission. Does anybody have any questions? Yes. That's, that's what I wanted as a question. And you codependently asked me a question before I finished asking for a question. So thank you. We should take a break. You must be dying. Go on. Let's do some questions. Hmm? Try answering that. Well, I, I don't think that uh, many things uh, concerning, uh, I mean, it is this uh, economic growth and everything. It, it is a bit, how to say, is uh, more pressure than our personalities. We are more, how to say, uh, losing the touch with reality. But I, uh, personally, I think that, uh, that was the question, <laughs> yeah. Hmm? I agree with you, but your hypothesis has, has sort of ridden over something. You said, yes, 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 economic growth. We are only in a position where we can afford the times to navel gaze because of economic growth. So I would say economic growth and population growth. We are now the victims of our own success. We have so much stuff. Hello, grab a seat. Um, and that gives us the, the time to uh, explore our feelings. But this is not, you can turn that chair around. You don't have to sit like that. Thank you. <laughs> it's OK, it's OK. Um, uh, so when a culture, um, well, we're now the experiment is being run. I mean, if you look from like 1880 to now, the population exploded globally seven times. It multiplied by 700%. And we have had an explosion in medicine, technology, um, and that led to a point where people, it wasn't enough that people bought what they needed. At a certain point in the 1930s, the Americans decided we needed to train humanity to buy what they wanted. And then they hired Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, and invented public relations and marketing. And that is the problem. We are undergoing an ideological infection. We are reaping the karma of years of consumer capitalism. So economic growth is key to that. But you're right to the extent that, yes, perhaps this is the first time in, the hist in human history we have the chance to get involved in our feelings, but only because of that rampant um, explosion in stuff. There's so much stuff now. Uh, any other questions before we take a break? Yes? So if we are as a collective mm. adolescent, mm. I think we're, we're going to get there because 
what drives uh, human innovation is, is stress and need and trauma. And I know very few people who think that this is good. Everybody knows that this is shit. And people who have kids are worried for their kids, and they should be. Um, across the board, every age group is like, this is, this is a mess. This is just a goddamn mess. How did we, how did we get here? The differences with the uh, age group that you're talking about is um, they know it's a mess, but they blame the patriarchy, the hierarchy, dead white men, blah, 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 and all of that. But they still know it's a mess. They still know it's bad. Um, any other questions? Okay, let's take a, a five-minute break. Please get back here for a quarter past, and I will dive into the next section. Yeah. Anybody got any questions about anything we did in the last section? You're just going to let me get away with talking a load of shit, and you're not... Oh, nothing? Nobody wants to challenge me? I spoke for an hour and ten minutes. This is one of the ways in which I know, by the way, that um, culture is changing and culture is shifting, because... Some of the ideas that I presented here five years ago would have really, really upset people. It would have been way too challenging. But I think in the last two years, we've seen visceral examples of where this kind of ideological infection can end up. And it no longer looks as uh, harmless as it once was. Sorry, I'm chewing with a mic on, which is going to be gross for people listening at home. Can you hear that? Sorry, mate. <laughs> Nasty. Um, so, yeah, no questions? Cool. I will crack on further into the depths of things that will get me cancelled on YouTube. Yay. Okay. So, um, we've discussed where it's gone wrong. How, was, was, is that your hand up? No, you're just... Mm, just relaxing. How good of you. <laughs> um, that's how I relax too. I just, in Serbia, I just do this, but at home I'll be like that. Um, so my suggestions, um, so that we can start talking about the prescriptive stuff, the, the, the solutions would be, um, first of all, to ask for what you want. These are to counteract the six things that Sam mentioned. Ask for what you want, including your vulnerability, in a forthright way. If you are talking to a person who cannot deal with you asking for what you want, or cannot deal with your vulnerability, you just saved yourself time. Move on. This will be hard. Many people are very ideologically infected, which means that they're very adverse to intimacy. They're not in touch with their own vulnerability, so it will struggle to see vulnerability in you, but you will save yourself time if you do this. The second uh, naive suggestion I have is not for you personally, it's for us as a collective, as a group, as a culture, as a nation. We need to have a unified set of rules for cooperating and building long-term relationships, not short-term consumption. Consumer capitalism has entrained us to think of everything as a consumer item. Consumers make shit boyfriends and shit girlfriends because they will try to consume the relationship like it's a five-star luxury experience in Bali, and when they're not getting the service that they want from what they expected was going to be one non-stop party, they will complain and they will kick off 
with you because you are failing them. You are not the app that they downloaded. You are not the service that they ordered. And it, the, one of the things with consumption, of course, is you start consuming the thing, you stop consuming the thing, and then you throw the wrapper away. So the destruction is built into the relationship if the relationship is infected with consumer capitalism. If it's infected with consumerism, there must be an end. And most of the things we consume nowadays, we consume quickly. So you will notice a lot of relationships are short and brutish. Brutish. Why are you not being treated well? Because you're a product. I don't care about my iPhone. I don't care about my laptop. It does what I want or I kick it around the room. <laughs> so I don't. So this was uh, when Sam mentioned um, the uh, stalled revolution. I had to look it up. There's a, a professor from uh, Berkeley and her name is Hothschild. And it's her term. She's written some really, really interesting things around relationships and particularly relationships between men and women. So the stalled revolution, this is defined by Hothschild, sociologist, not psychologist. Most mothers work for pay outside the home. That is the revolution. So the stalled revolution is as follows. Most mothers work for pay outside the home. That is the revolution. But the jobs they go out to and men they come home to haven't changed as rapidly or deeply as she has. Get that? World's changing, what women are doing is changing, but the jobs they go to and the men they come home to haven't changed. And that's the stall. So where the jobs haven't changed, the men haven't changed, in accordance with that, you have a stall. So working mothers end up doing the lion's share of the work, both emotional and physical, of tending the home, which leads her to feel resentment. So when we talk narcissism and codependency, let's, which is psychological terms, let's also balance that out with sociology and economics so we have a full view. There is an economic backdrop to all of this. And the, uh, the idea of somebody doing too much and then feeling resentful, well, that's classic for codependency. I'm overgiving, I'm overgiving, I am exhausted, I didn't sign up for this, but I love you and I like giving. Oh shit, now I'm tired, now I'm angry and resentful. Standard. Hothschild traces links between a couple's division of labor and their underlying economy of gratitude. That's her term, the economy of gratitude. So when we were talking about a fair exchange and I said, how would we define it? I wouldn't want to do it. It kind of has to be defined. So there has to be a division of labor within the relationship that's sustainable and makes sense to both partners or there will be trouble. Resentment kills relationships. It kills relationships. One of the first things it does to kill the relationship is it kills sexual attraction. It doesn't matter how hot the person you are with, if you resent them, it, it dies. And that's the first step towards a progressive rot that can infect the relationship. Who, she asks, is grateful to whom and for what? This is important. This is very, very important. If gratitude is not expressed within the relationship, resentment will build. Even those who accommodate work and family life some, uh, face some difficulties, such as a variety of high-funded daycare options, jobs with little to no fluidity for those who require to care for a sick child, school itinerary that are based on having a stay-at-home parent, and the assumption that they will work a second shift, presuming the majority of domestic labor. So again, we spoke about transactions 
and how it's not very romantic. This is another uncomfortable conversation that we have to have. Who's doing what in this relationship? Romance is like what? It's, it's the first maybe 10 months of the relationship, if you're really lucky. It's six months. It gets practical because there's two human beings who live in the same space, typically, unless you're in a long distance relationship, which you're gonna try and resolve and try to live in the same space. So instead of like complicating it and saying like, how do we deal with romance and love and all the rest of it? I like to say, well, how do you deal with two human beings living in the same space for decades? Is that what you'll want? Do you want long-term relationships? Who wants a long-term relationship? Okay, so decades, yeah? So you're gonna live in another house with another human being for decades. <laughs> Why laugh? <laughs> Better with two houses? Decades. Listen, this is Serbian practicality at its finest. This lady says it's better with two houses. I couldn't agree with you more. Man house, woman house, nice fence in between, little door. Hello, darling. Hello, darling. Have a nice day. A woman house and man shed. Man shed would be, well, it would be after a while. So, so you've really got to think realistically because it's easy to say, oh, I want to be in a long-term relationship. What does that mean? What does it mean practically, economically? On a because relationships then become about your daily activities. Who's doing what at what time? If it functions and it flows and it works well, it's great. It often doesn't. Should it? I mean, I would be more surprised when it does. Well, most of the humans I deal with struggle to put their own socks on. So the idea that they're going to beautifully and gracefully navigate decades of living with another person whilst everybody's happy and everything's okay, the longer it goes on for, the less likely that seems to... I'm saying moderate expectations. Like, we've got to be realistic, guys. Like, come on, you're going to live with another person who's not into philosophy and psychology, who's not shadow integrated, who's doing whatever they do. Yeah, it's disappointing. <laughs> like, it's going to be disappointing because that's another person. Uh, my other naive suggestion was the uh, cultural acceptance of sex and gender differences and preferences and no more ideological drive towards Sam Backman's term of the unigender. We should no longer drive to have everybody be the same thing and to meet in the middle. If people wish to be gender fluid, let them be gender fluid. If they want to dress like that, wear that, do that, they do whatever they want in my benevolent dictatorship, I don't care. I'm not really joking, it's coming. But advertisers, marketers and corporations would not be allowed to promote the idea that this is normal or good or primal. It is not. It is not. We are all here because of heterosexual union between men and women. I don't care if that's politically incorrect, it's a fucking biological fact. If it stops, humanity has a problem, a real problem. So let people do whatever they want to do, but I'm talking, I'm not talking about controlling individuals, I'm talking about controlling culture. The individual, and though they harm no other, can do whatever they want, as long as they're obeying the laws. But culturally, we have to get a control of this. We have to get a control around the idea that we are all just going to meet in the middle and there are no sex differences, there are no gender differences. It's, in, it's completely insane because there are sex differences and there are gender differences and we don't have the same skills, strengths, desires, nor should we. We're being encouraged to lie. And you've probably, if you've been here for three seminars, you'll have got 
the notion that I don't like lying. I'm really big on honesty. All mental illness, all sin, all craziness, all the poison in the world starts with a lie. It starts with one little lie. We'll just say this and everything will be okay. It never fucking is. It's always a mess. Honesty or nothing. Give me honesty or give me death. Humility and respect for the other. Crazy fucking idea. <laughs> fucking crazy idea. Here is a person. She has her desires, her dreams, her traumas, whatever. She goes to work. People are rude to her. She drives through traffic. It's shit. She has her hardships. If I can appreciate that and hold that, then I can have some compassion and some appreciation. If I'm rigidly individualistic and a consumer, I'm only fixated on what she does for me. So if she's tired, that is an inconvenience for me. That is a big and significant reframe. We have to get past this. We have to get back to having respect for people. All people, everywhere, got to respect other human beings. And it starts with self-respect. I know that that sounds a bit trite, but it's true. If you don't really respect yourself, you can't respect other people. I think on the first seminar, I started with the Dostoevsky quote, when you lose God and you lose the capacity to tell the truth and you start lying to yourself, you begin to hate yourself. And when you hate yourself, you can't love other people. When you have no love, according to Dostoevsky, you're living in hell. No love, no respect, just contempt for everything. A sullen malaise for life and for people. That's what we live with now. And that is a cultural, ideological infection. Everything is shit, everybody cheats, it's all garbage, it's all fake, and it's all pointless. Thank you, Satan. What else would you like to shove down my throat? Oh. It's kind of funny, because you remember the satanic panic that we had in the States? The satanic panic? Yeah. Like, no, I don't. Looking for <laughs> Satanism. Oh, yeah, yeah. clearly didn't exist, and framing people for it. I think we're in need of a real satanic panic right now. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> blatant kind of examples of you know, no morality, no values, um, moral values are seen as controversial and regressive, and yet nobody's calling people out for it. So it's all right to be morally regressive as long as you subscribe to the uni gender. So you could be a complete arsehole, but as long as you've got the badges of honor, you know, uni gender, LGBTQ, I don't know what it means, but I stand for everything that the tribe stands for. You can do whatever you want, and that excuses you mm -hmm. from basic humanity. Yeah, as long as you're signaling the right way. Yeah. This is the big thing now is signaling. Um, in biology, when animals signal to each other, because they can't talk, um, it's, a, it's a theory from biology called signaling. And it implies dishonesty. The reason why animals signal to each other is because they lie to each other. Uh, a not very dominant reindeer will signal to the females that he is dominant and he'll find some way of lying. It's a signal. Uh, the female llama, who is not a particularly good llama to be breeding with, will somehow signal, fake signal that she is. Signaling implies falsehood. So when we say virtue signaling, it implies the lie. It's not that you're actually saying you're virtuous, you're lying about your virtue. We've confused the signifier and the symbol with that which is signified or symbolized, and that's a the beginning of total insanity. So we also need to drop the poisonous need to associate empowerment and liberation with promiscuity. If somebody takes a screenshot of that and with me pointing at it, that's gonna be the most right-wing thing 
If you all need Jesus, you got to stop fucking each other. Start praying. God damn it. Um, it it's, it's not, it's, it's really, again, it's not about, to me, it's not what the individual does. If an individual human being says, this is my genetics, this is my experience, this is my desire, go ahead. Go ahead. Don't come crying to me when you're completely emotionally dysregulated and depressed and stressed out and anxious because it's not, it ain't safe. It ain't safe. And your body knows it ain't safe. Your brain knows it ain't safe. And it's going to send you risk signals while you're doing it and shame signals while you're doing it because it isn't safe. It's not a safe action for multiple reasons. So, but let's keep it to psychology. It isn't psychologically safe. But that's not what I'm talking about. Again, I'm back to culture and the ideological infection. We shouldn't be implying or teaching young people that it's liberating or empowering to have sex with multiple partners. One reason is because it's not fucking true. I, don't, I can think of nothing lazier or dumber than just, you know, just getting in bed and shagging someone. What's empowering about that? What's liberating about that? Nothing, nothing at all, aside from all the risks. So my naive suggestions would be if we could clean these things up, just these few points, there are more of course, it would go a long way, a hell of a long way to resolving the issues that we're currently struggling with around love. Oh, goodness me, here we go. Down into the rabbit hole we must go and rapidly. Anima and animus possession. Let me take you through this quick. These are Jungian ideas. Anima is soul and is yin, it is feminine. Animus is logos, let's say mind, reason. It's yang and it's masculine. You have yang in you. You are yin, but you have yang in you. So you are at risk of animus possession. I am at risk of anima possession. So you have a potentially evil man inside of you who's ready to take over your whole being. I have an evil woman inside of me who's ready to take over my whole being. This is fun, yeah, right? No. You've, you, of course, of course. It was actually the lady behind you was looking at me like that. She was totally, totally confused. Um, okay, I like this quote from, from Jung. I made it small so you can't read it. When animus and anima meet, the animus draws his sword of power, his little yang, and the anima ejects her poison of illusion and seduction, like a squid. The outcome need not always be negative, since the two are equally likely to fall in love. There's danger here. There's risk here. There is supposed to be. It is combative by nature. But if we have a sense of humor and we can respect that, then we don't have to get really pissy about it. We just go, okay, men and women are different. There is going to be a battle for power within this relationship. That doesn't mean I have to hate my partner or hate women or hate femininity or hate masculinity or hate men. That's not necessary. You respect the entity you're with. Men are different to women, women are different to men. If you fundamentally don't like men, or you fundamentally have a problem with masculinity, you shouldn't be looking for a relationship. You've got to resolve that first. This is uh, something that I've, I've said when I'm speaking in the, uh, the Manosphere or the Red Pill community. If you don't like women, don't date. Get over it. If you're pissed off with what a woman is, Leave them alone. 
until you've got past it. You've got a problem. And some of them look at me like I'm crazy. You shouldn't be going out and dating with an entity that you don't like because you're asking for love. You want love, but you don't like. How are you going to love what you don't like? How are you going to love what you don't respect? And I'm using objective language deliberately. A man is a different thing to a woman. If you don't like the thing that a man is, forget about it. Join a nunnery. For, for men, I would say, if you, like, if you don't like the thing that a woman is, forget about it. Just abandon it. Because all you're going to do is hurt people whilst you're dealing with your weird personal trauma and acting it out in the world. Okay, anima possession. When a man, and I'm not specifying any man particularly, <clears throat> becomes anima possessed, when a man's anima is not integrated, it wreaks havoc in his life. Now, let me just tell you how this can happen. If I negate um, the anima, the soul, the yin in me, and I push it away, and I'm not shown how to integrate it properly, what I, this is classic Jungian psychology, what you push down comes back to, to possess you. So if my anima is not integrated, it will wreak havoc in my life. The anima-possessed man is a spineless wimp who does not know when or how to take action in the world. He is moody and sulky and throws tantrums like a toddler. Super. Any numinous experiences, do you know what numinous is? It's like religious or transcendent. In Serbian, it's numinosi. <laughs> I looked it up before I came. You've never heard numinosi? I never heard numinous before today, so we're in the same boat. It's a very pretentious way of saying religious or transcendent. So any religious or transcendent experiences he has, the anima quickly attacks, and he's left with a feeling that, he ex that his experience was nothing but, nothing but uh, drug-induced delusion or whatever it is. So she, the anima, is a master of creating doubt, and he finds himself always doubting his options and choices. He gets lost in contemplations and thinking, and this is what prevents him from taking action. At night, he dreams about his anima. She appears in his dreams as a monster attacking him, threatening him, and dismissing him. So, we said earlier, uh, not everybody was here, uh, one of the problems in relationships uh, was that men have lost their way. Men and women have lost their way. Men, generally speaking, are completely shadow-possessed, but the particular form of shadow-possession is anima-possession. So you will see men who are spineless wimps. They cannot make decisions. They cannot act. They're riddled with doubt, and they tend to tantrum like toddlers, which is what happens when you can't ask for what you want. I would say um, this is also true. Women have lost their way, and they have become animus-possessed. Can you imagine what animus possession looks like? Yes. Oh, yes. Animus possession. The woman has a, a negative image about her femininity. Animus possession is the archetype of a ball-busting bitch. Complaining, bullying, negative, critical. So, like I said to you, like a, if, if I'm possessed by a bad woman, this is the bad woman I'm possessed by, indecisive, lost in dreams, can't make decisions, then women become possessed by a bad man. He's tyrannical, he's chauvinistic, he's uh, patriarchal even. So the woman has a negative image 
about her femininity and is usually highly critical and judgmental of other women. She herself is vain, false and jealous, but she is not aware of it and projects it out, labeling other people, usually women, as vain, false and jealous. She is cut off from her instincts, unbalanced and destructive. She can only relate to men sexually and confronted with a relationship, she asks the wrong questions. Well, what are you looking at us for? <sighs> Instead of thinking about whether she loves him or cares for him, she asks herself whether she should sleep with him now or tries to work out the best way to manipulate him. So, do you see animus and anima possession in this culture? Yeah, on an everyday basis. Everyday basis, I see little but. Little but. Men who have abandoned the field because they'd rather play video games and sulk and be depressed. Women who are lost and abandoned on the field, taking up men's spaces because the men have abandoned them. And they're like, well, what else are we supposed to do? But not happily. The women are not happily doing it. They're angrily and resentfully doing it. Oh, it's one more fucking thing I have to do. Of course. And the men who feel attacked and emasculated by women, who feel that their masculinity has been criminalized and shamed and infantilized, give up. Give up. I don't know if it's happened in Serbia yet, but if you want to see this, come to the UK. Bunch of anima-possessed men, animus-possessed women, wilding out in full shadow possession. Full-blown shadow possession, completely empty, nihilistic, believing in nothing but what they can eat and wank off over today. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't say that to a room full of adults. You just can't do it. Yeah, the Yeah, okay. I remember living in um, East London, and that is the hub of these kind of men who will virtue signal that they are the most feminist men. I think Douglas Murray wrote about this. He was like, be careful of the men who signal that they're the ultra-feminists because most probably they're saying that to get you into bed. Mm. And they're just these kind of soy boys who will, you know... Well, God bless them for at least trying to get some women into bed, even if they're doing it through false signaling. I mean, no, I'll go one step further. They're, they're beta male, blue pill, cuck soy boys. You like that? There we yeah, go. There we go. It hits every button. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this is, this is the world we're moving into um, because men are not allowed to be men and women are not allowed to be women. So what's going to happen? Gender vertigo happens. Yeah. It's a total mess and we have abandoned each other. Let me say this now because I haven't said it earlier in the seminar. We need each other. Yin needs yang. Yang needs yin. We are very, very sad now because we lost each other. We didn't, women didn't just lose men and men didn't just lose women. We've kind of lost each other. We've lost each other, where we used to have community, we've lost that, and it's miserable. It's absolutely miserable. This life is only semi-worth living with love in it. Men need women, women need men. That is anima and animus possession delivered very, very quickly to you. I have some more naive suggestions here. Okay, what would defeat consumerism? Um, reverence and gratitude. Mentioned this in an earlier seminar. Have you all had the experience of like switching into a mode where you suddenly become very grateful and appreciative for everything that there is in the world? Sunsets, birdies tweeting, um, cats, whatever. Whatever you like, mountains, the sea. You become grateful, you become reverent, and you realize, I didn't make this. I didn't make this. 
I couldn't make this. Nobody can make this. Appreciation, gratitude is the doorway. Well, humility is the underlying thing. You must have humility, appreciation, gratitude. Then you can achieve reverence. And that means I respect you and have reverence for you as the thing that you are. Because I couldn't make you. You're a wonderful being. You might be boring or, I don't know, you might have some weird political ideas or whatever it is, but I should still have reverence for the entity that you are. And that reminds me, I don't have the right to harm you. I don't have the right to put my hands on you. I don't have the right to do anything to you. With appreciation, gratitude and humility, you get reverence. It's, it's quite hard to behave criminally. Those who do behave criminally, those who do violence unto others, they've lost reverence, they've lost appreciation, they've lost respect. And in a sense, it's an anti-life um, ideology, it's an anti-life stance. It's demonic, it's satanic, it's not life-giving because you are, you're spitting on life with contempt. When you spit on other human beings, you're showing contempt for life and you're showing contempt for yourself. So this would help to deal with the consumerism, Selfishness, or let's say rigid individuality, would be defeated by empathy and cooperation. Having empathy means being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Your, whatever your uh, experience is, subjective as a human being, it's probably going to be a good idea if I'm in a relationship with you for me to dwell on what that is like for you and you the same. That's all empathy is, by the way. There's no... There's no um, there's no implication that empathy is particularly kind. Uh, well, there is, a, the American English has perverted this. Americans pervert everything. In true English, the real English language, my dears, empathy just meant I can imagine what you're experiencing. That's it. I can just hallucinate, use my imagination and simulate life from your perspective. No love. Compassion. What? It's not sympathy, compassion. No sympathy, no compassion, no warmth, no kindness. So if you're empathic, that just means you can imagine. So uh, Sam Backman made this point. A serial killer is empathic. A good hunter is empathic. We must have empathy in a relationship for the relationship to work. I need to know what you're going through because you might not be able to tell me. I need to know what you're looking for because you might not be able to tell me. I might have to figure it out for myself. Good relationships typically would work that way. Solipsism defeated by the rigorous discipline of self-honesty. Solipsism is where we get trapped in our own loop of a, of a philosophical worldview where we can't see outside of it. We're not taking feedback from the environment. The world is the way we, it is because we believe it to be that way. It's an entirely self-referential philosophy, which means it's bereft of reason. Nothing penetrates solipsism. So if, you know, looping is now a term in psychology, um, if you believe that all men are uh, bastards and they're only after one thing, then that would mean that you're going to gravitate to men who are going to prove you right. Looping. It's called looping. It's, it's kind of one element of, of solipsism. Solipsism is broken uh, with self-honesty. So you must be rigorously honest with yourself. What do you want? What are you prepared to give in a relationship? What are you prepared to sacrifice? What will you put up with? What won't you put up with? And again, I know you guys are a little socially conservative. There's the sexuality issue. Sexuality is a good example because it's one of the things nobody wants to really talk about publicly, but all of these things are in the realm of the unconscious. Imagine you had a sexual identity that is not fully fulfilled. What is the consequence of that? 
What is the consequence of that? It's a totally rhetorical question. I don't expect you to answer it. I would suggest dissatisfaction. You're going to live your life not really knowing what it would be like to be satisfied. Call me crude. Maybe it's because I'm a man. I suspect that there would be less stress in a relationship if both partners are meeting each other's sexual needs completely. That means you've got to have a very, like it doesn't have to be straight away, but at some point in the relationship, you have to go there. And some of us don't even go there with ourselves. We edit our own desires. And that's a terrible, terrible shame. I am in that way, this is more like a German. Um, I must have German DNA. I believe that if that isn't expressed and it's repressed, it generates misery. It generates like uh, mental health issues. Not everybody would agree with me. I think it's one of those things, key area of life, you've got to have that sorted, but it can't be sorted unless you know what you want and you know what you need first. Have to explore it. Oh, what a terrible thing to have to explore one's sexuality and have more joy and pleasure. The fourth thing would be that manipulation and coercion so when I say manipulation and coercion here, it's where you're hoping that the person is gonna give you what you want, or you nudge them unconsciously to give them what you want. Don't do that. And don't accept other adults doing that to you either. Four-year-olds and five-year-olds may. That is permitted. An adult may not. They must have the courage. We must have the courage to directly and openly ask for what we want. If we don't get what we want, and we never asked for it, that is our fault. You never gave that person the chance. You have to ask for what you want, which means you need to know what you want first. Hatred and hostility and counter-dependence. Counter-dependence is a state that people can go into where intimacy and vulnerability with another person generates the instinct to run away and push away. You have experienced this in your partners. You have it in yourselves. You have it in yourselves because you're traumatized and you've been hurt. We all do. So we're all somewhere on the counter-dependence spectrum. The hatred and the hostility, again, it's partly cultural conditioning and ideological infection. It's partly trauma. It must be resolved. Some of us need therapy. You've got to go to therapy. If you hate men and men watching, if you hate women, go, go to therapy. Talk about it. Speak to a professional about the fact, like, I really fucking don't like women now. They're annoying, which you are. Goodbye, YouTube. <laughs> it's been nice knowing you. Um, misogynist. That's a person who massages people. So it's, um, we, we have to have that moment where we say, okay, do I like before I love? Do I like before I lost? If you don't like the essence of masculinity, and there's a lot to dislike. People are fucking annoying. If we sat here and we went, what's really annoying about men? We could probably get like a good solid 15 minutes and a couple of pages on that, right? And then I would ask you the same question about women and we get another three pages because you're full of frustration with women as, as you are with men because people are annoying. Human beings are annoying. We're annoying. I'm annoying because I don't see myself. I have unconscious blind spots. I have shadow. I'm not shadow integrated. So we can have compassion for that and for the rest we can go to therapy. The notion that it's all about me getting exactly what I want when I want it all the time, consumerism, rigid individualism, narcissism, uh, would be counteracted by emotional maturity, growing up, and boundaried respect for the other. When you live with somebody, and you live with them all the time, this needs refreshing. Boundaries, respect, boundaries, respect, 
gratitude because familiarity breeds contempt. So it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing process. It must be watered, it must be tended to. And we're all intrinsically selfish. You've got to be aware of that. Contempt would be defeated by reverence. Rigidly individualistic definitions of love would be moved to a more collective experience and expression. And excuse me, that was an outrage. I ate, uh, what did I have before? You know, I had cherry and ayahuasca last time. This time it was coffee and chocolate. That's what they told me it was. I have a protein shake in the middle of the summer and I have to keep going. It was awful. I'm sure it was mud water from a local stream. So we need, um, in my uh, future military dictatorship, um, it's not a joke, it's coming, it starts here. Uh, and then we'll spread throughout Europe and then the world. We, so I, I wrote here rigidly individualistic definitions of love. I think it's too much to make your whole life about romantic love with a man, or too much for me to make my whole life about romantic love with a woman. We are putting too much emphasis on it. We didn't used to do that. We had communities, we had church, we had people that we worked with. We need to get back to that. It's gonna drive us crazy. You can't put all your eggs in one basket. People will disappoint you. And in the dictatorship, this will happen. Because we can't, you can't just choose that for yourself unless you're gonna create a cult. And if you do, please invite me. I'd be very grateful. Um, we don't have time to get too deeply into this because I wanna take questions from you. Uh, in fact, I'm not going to read that out at all. It's okay. You don't, well, okay. Who, who, who went, ah? Oh. oh, God bless you. Uh, it basically says that um, in order to move forward, we have to individuate. So if we have elements of our shadow that are not integrated, we fall prey to our own unconscious, our own shadow. That happens individually and it happens collectively. So when we're talking about like cultural shadow um, possession, and individual shadow possession, it's the same thing. If a culture is in denial about what and who it is, then eventually the shadow comes up and it, it possesses the whole culture. If the individual, it's the same thing. Our goal here, so what did I tell you? You need to be more moral and you need to be more honest with yourself. And now I'm saying you have to become an enlightened being because nothing else will do. And I'm only half joking. If you are unenlightened and in the dark, love will destroy you. The reason for that is when you love somebody, you get closer and closer to them in terms of intimacy, you do more and more shadow activation in each other. Intimacy generates shadow activation. So you have to be somewhat enlightened to survive that, or you won't. You'll get lost in projection. You'll be convinced that your partner is a demon or a narcissist or that you're a narcissist or blah, 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 blah. You're a person. You have darkness inside of you. Deep, terrible, chaotic darkness. That's okay. So individuation is a course I should probably do, I think, because I talk about it all the time. And it would be around uh, integrating the shadow and individuating in the Jungian sense. Jung did not leave behind many practical steps for how to do that. Here is an exercise for you that is a practical step in exploring the shadow, or at least that which has not been defined yet. Define what love is to you. Take the time to do this with a pen and a piece of paper on your own really get to grips with what your idea of love is, get to grips with your idea of what a relationship is, and write down the ways in which you have permitted love and relationship to deviate from that. Where you let love and relationship deviate from your conscious definitions, that is shadow. You wanna know, well, how do I do shadow work? Here is a way of doing shadow work. That's where the shadow is. 
you said that love was the Oprah Winfrey fantasy. It's respect and loyalty and trust and but you didn't like you didn't live that. You didn't allow it, or you, or you permitted something else. That is shadow. And and now I will take questions. <laughs> I have a question about a question, not a statement. A question with a statement wrapped inside. Like a a statement masquerading <laughs> as a question. Go on. Exactly. Go on. As a question. Um, so I had this thought about the difference between a warrior and a soldier, and going back to this idea of getting rid of solipsism. Mm. I think we need to be warriors, not soldiers, in the sense that if you're a soldier, you serve your country, you serve the nation, mm -hmm. but you ultimately are prepared to sacrifice yourself like a good codependent. Yep. If you're a warrior, you know where to draw the limits, and you understand self-creation. I think what a lot of us are afraid of is being ostracized in society, having the guts to stand up for some kind of values that you actually have thought through mm -hmm. and becoming a warrior is much more of a scary option mm. so i think this codependence we attach onto people mm. and their armies we're like i want to join your army mm. give me meaning that's my authentic self i'll mm. experience my authentic self through you and your ideology mm. and instead of confronting that solitude that we need to do take time to ourselves and cultivate ourselves we prefer just latching onto ideologies and saying well the world's just a shit place mm -hmm. 100% agree. There's a reason why the infantry is called the infantry, and it is the same root as infant. It's not very nice, but that's the way history goes. Um, any other questions? I don't believe you. What is this nonsense? Not one more question. I'm very impressed. <laughs> Where was your hand? Yeah, go on, sorry. <laughs> More extreme to go. To go, yes. Um, more yeah. I, I would think it depends on different places in the world, it's going to show up in a different way. The way I would frame this is if reasonable, decent people who don't want to go out in the street and fight and process and scream because we're not like that, if we don't start becoming more vocal and active and pushing a back against this chaotic nonsense, it might be too late. It might be too late um, because we were already pretty far down the road. So I wouldn't advocate a position that said it's burnt out and that's the end of it. I think it really has to be pushed back against now. And where, where it starts to come up again, we, we've got to get rid of it. It's an anti-life death cult and it leads to nothing good. I've seen no zero good consequences um, to, to the types of extremities that you're talking about. Does that answer your question? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> How does it not? Okay. Well, uh, I'm asking, it's not, is it good? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's inevitable mm -hmm. to go to war extremes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree that it's not good. Yeah. Now. You're asking, is it, you're asking, is it over? It's not the end. No, it's not over. This is not over. It's, 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 it's got legs, uh, English expression, which means it can go on for a long time. It appeals to a certain type of person in a way that is very profound and very emotional. There's a certain type of trauma that somebody can go through. Essentially, if, if the person is a fragile narcissist or if they have the traits of borderline personality disorder, this becomes a religion for them. 
This is a religion that they can hold on to, and they hold on to it with religious fervor. They become zealots. Zealots were very, very dangerous people in their day. These were, you know, hyper-militarized uh, assassin Jews, um, and they they murdered a lot of people. We should be very, very vigilant of uh, of this. Very, very vigilant of people who fall into that into to pray to zealotry, and that's what this is. So no, it's not over. Not over. It's not even arrived in Serbia yet, but it's coming. <laughs> yes. Um, I think it's clearly, it's undeniably partly an agenda, but I think it's also spontaneous um, shadow possession. It didn't take very much to uh, push people into this state. Uh, I don't know. Mm. So there are, there are different, it's almost like a perfect storm. The way things went sequentially, decade by decade, you can just you can see that like this is the way it was going to go. This is everything is a consequence of everything else. But that's the nature of karma, right? Karma in the Vedic tradition, it just means action. It's like a Newtonian principle: cause, effect. It's nothing spiritual. It's not the hand of somebody like punishing people. We do stuff, and stuff happens. So karmically, this was not inevitable but a very likely outcome. I was making uh, videos about this in the, in the Czech Republic in 2018, just warning of like, a, a sort of like not, it w I, it's never gonna be communism as it was, but it's going to look an awful lot like communism. It will actually be extremely predatory capitalism masquerading as, as communism. Stay focused, I ladies. Uh, I, don't, I think it was more, I thought it was an insurance uh, thing, like, don't worry, be who you want, do whatever you want, and stop the consequences. Yeah. What are you saying? If you say it, you can say it, you don't get cancelled. It seems like it's been promoted, but it isn't just happening naturally, but it's been... Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure if, it's, if there's like an Illuminati overlord um, agenda to make the sexes fall out with each other so that we live in a loveless world and we consume more and then just end up in our matrix pods. But it could be. Um, and sometimes corporations have to, in order to fulfill their own agendas, they have to fall in line with trends and with, and with woke culture. So I can't really explain that. See, I had it explained to me by somebody who understands it better than I do, but there is a specific way of rating the value of a corporation that the shareholders care about that includes public perception, and it's very, very important to them financially. So partly agenda. There's for sure an agenda been going for decades to get men into dresses and to feminize men. I mean, you look at Game of Thrones, the amount of literal, um, what do you call it, where you chop somebody's balls off? What was it? Castration. Castration. There's tons of castration themes. They have an, an army of brown castrati led by a white woman with a savior complex who eventually goes mad and kills everybody in a fucking temper tantrum. Oh, I'm so sorry. Look out for the castrati. Yeah, what, what are they called? The unsullied or something? And they're pure. They, these are men who are called unsullied. They're pure because they had their dick and balls chopped off. I mean, I'm like... 
yeah, that's agenda, for sure, that's agenda. Making James Bond useless and traumatized and effeminate. God damn it. Why will they not leave British heroes alone? It's appalling. Any other questions and then we must wrap? Is it? Don't, don't start, mate. You're telling me. You're telling me. James Bond, what? His mum was Serbian. He was what? James Bond, what was his real name? James. Janos. Yano, Janos. He's what? He's what? You guys will claim anything, man. <laughs> so, so, so uh, the author, who, who was in yeah, Secret yeah. Service, right? Yeah. He was in MI5. He knew a Serbian agent, yeah. and he was so impressed with him. He's tall, handsome, debonair. <laughs> Fuck you guys, yeah. man. You ruined my fucking dreams. God damn it. And so that was, that was the real James Bond. What's, what's James in Serbian? Do you have James? No, this guy was called Dusko Popov. Dusko Popov. That, ah, my name's Popov. Dusko Popov. Uh, any other questions that don't ruin my childhood dreams? <laughs> uh, sorry, yes, go on. Uh, why do you say I'm half joking about enlightenment? Yeah. I, I think shouldn't be joking at all. Oh, well, I can't be the person who sits in front of a room of people and says, hey guys, go and get enlightened. Um, but you can term it in other ways. You could be like, oh, you've got to integrate the shadow and so on and so forth. But yeah, I mean, like, I, look, do you want me to be really honest with you? Based on what I know of human beings, if you want me to be really honest, I'm amazed that the divorce rates are as low as they are. Could you shut that door? Thank you so much. Um, I, because I don't see that the, the, the competency and the boundaries and the commitment and the philosophy is there to withhold a relationship. I just don't see that. I don't see the emotional maturity. I don't see the compromise. I don't see the willingness to sacrifice. So when people come to me and they're like, my relationships suck. I'm like, I'm zero percent surprised. It's not generational. It's not age-based. I know a couple who are going through it. They're both in their 70s. But I look at them, they're like, they have a fundamentally selfish view of life. So of course they're frustrated with each other because I don't know. I, I, I don't know what they expect the relationship to be. So here's my, this is, I mock Oprah Winfrey for her nonsense idealism. Let me give you my nonsense idealism. For it to work in a way that is actually fulfilling, you would have to be shadow integrated, individuated, enlightened to a point where you no longer cared about being in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Don't all nod and say, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. You know no one like that, including me. You know nobody like that, but that is the way. That's the way. And you are so individually fulfilled, there's no anxiety, there's no... Um, Possessiveness, there's just like, yeah, do whatever you want. There's no need in the Buddhist sense. There's no need. And then you say, well, why fucking be together at all then? And you're free from desire. No, 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 no. But yes, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not a, a total joke. Definitely not. Um, I say many serious things ironically so that people walk away and like, is he joking? Like, what, what the fuck was that? But it's a way of infecting people's minds. I know what I'm doing. Um, what's his name? Dusko Popovich? Dusko. Fucking Dusko. Douchebag. Uh, yeah, douchebag, more like. No, soul. Soul. Moya. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Um, any, uh, yeah, go on. Um, is this a question or a yeah, statement? I'd like to ask you the practical 
practical advice on an everyday basis. So I remember asking, um, there was an online thing with Douglas Murray and I just went full on like, okay, what is the way forward in terms of how do we behave every day mm. in our lives to counteract this, right? To not become like the enemy, to not become as ideologically infected, but mm. in another way. Mm. What would you recommend on, in terms of language, how we speak to other people? What, what did Douglas Murray recommend? Well, he said, just speak proper English, as in don't get into the Orwellian word games. Right. Sometimes it's impossible because you find yourself up against like a tide and it's not just only in, in you know, in a bar or whatever, it's at work, job mm. interviews, um, everyday life. What was, the, what was the specific context you wanted advice for again? How to kind of counteract all of this in everyday life. What things would you recommend on an everyday level? Okay, so uh, again, it ties into your question. My demand, or uh, not, I can't demand things from you, but mm -hmm. my recommendations to you, they're extremely grandiose. It's very difficult. Yeah. So be a moral person in a completely immoral society. Go full Nietzsche and break out of your social conditioning. Become Kierkegaard and despair and then rebuild yourself so you're no longer a mass human being. You're a true individual. Individuate according to Jung. Enlighten according to Buddha. My God, I mean, people think I'm fucking insane. But, but if we don't tread somewhere along that path, it's useless. It's useless. Nothing will stick. So we can't, I don't believe you fight ideology with ideology. I think it's a terrible mistake. And I think that's where feminism went wrong. I think it allowed itself to submerge into ideological dogma instead of sticking to principle. Um, so no ideology to fight ideology. What fights ideology? Well, ideology is falsehood and it's dogma and it's lying. So truth, tell the truth. Be honest with yourself, yeah, be honest with each other. Whereby, going back to your kind of image of the tomb and like us being entombed, mm -hmm. sometimes is it not better to be entombed and to plan um, a kind of a strategy of action to accept solitude, even if speaking the truth ends up in hardship, pain, mm. that kind of you know growing pain of shedding skin, mm. surely that's better than trying to fit in and trying to appease more people and being that people pleaser to kind of, even now, like- I, I didn't say that you should fit in. What is this nonsense? No, 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 not you, but I mean, the kind of societal norm of like, oh, I want to get out of my codependency and a sign that I'm recovering might be more friends. When in fact, a sign that you're recovering could be so, impossible to measure in you, ca outcome, you like, can't yeah. you can't get your cues from outside yeah, exactly. so all your cues have to come from inside whatever individuation means to you is the truth so uh, back to the masculinity femininity thing i get a little bit annoyed hearing men try and teach other men how to be masculine that's not masculine masculinity is spontaneous and it's action it's not symbolic it's not rooted in signifiers and, and symbols that is more in the realm of feminine so a, a man being his own self, like Douglas Murray, that's masculinity. He's a, he's, he's a gay man, he's softly spoken, he's hyper-intellectual, but he tells the truth, that's masculinity. Oscar Wilde, masculinity, it could be anything. It's not match, uh, uh, machismo, it's like being super macho. So we, again, we've, we've got to watch out not to fall back into dogma and ideology when we're fighting ideology. Here are the six ways in which a man should be a man. So I got to hunt and eat elk meat and stuff. I mean, it's, it's absolute nonsense. So we have become afraid of our own authenticity because it's spontaneous and chaotic. That's why we're trying to find ideological solutions and rules. But all of this, the individuation, Buddhahood, the Kierkegaardian despair, that is rooted in a completely spontaneous, non-ideological space that comes from you. So my 
demands are grandiose. It's unrealistic and idealistic, but I'm not ashamed of it because I don't see any other choice. If I could see another route, a simpler route, I would tell you what it is. There is nothing else. We're at a point in human evolution where we choose to consciously evolve or we collapse. And I don't mind which one we do. I'm not attached. If we collapse, I just say, I don't mind. Let's, let's collapse then. We've done it before. We'll do it again. Last question. Yes. I see, I see a lot of people pretending to be conscious parents and it usually just means that they're codependent, breeding little narcissistic dependents. And in the name of conscious parenting, the parents must shadow integrate because they're handing their shadow possession onto their children. We said this the other day, do you remember I said about transactional analysis? You carry the interjects and the trauma within you, your mother, your grandmother, your great-great-grandmother. So. It's you have to stop, I have to stop. We stop the intergenerational trauma here or it doesn't stop. It's only us, it's only us. It won't be anybody else, nobody's coming. Well, the aliens are watching and they're laughing because we're fucking idiots. So it's us, it's us. And it, it, it can't be handed on to anybody else or any other generation. Hundred percent. Ladies, I only said ladies and gentlemen. Ladies, <laughs> gentle ladies, thank you so very much for your time and your attention. Um, thanks for coming out. I know it was difficult, and I will be back in about six weeks' time. Thank you. Is that for sure? For sure. Mm -hmm. Cool. <laughs> thank you. I will clap like Stalin for myself.